Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. It is wonderful to have you with us. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. Um, and we are week two in what we believe is a very exciting and meaningful series uh, that we are doing, Introducing Jesus. And uh, it's been said that Jesus is arguably the most famous person in history. Not sure how you would engage with that statement, but that is uh, a statement that is often made, that there are few people more famous in all of history than Jesus, which is amazing when you think that humanly speaking, he never owned a property, never owned a business, never wrote a book. For most of his life, he worked as a carpenter in a little village called Nazareth. And yet over two billion people today claim not only to believe in him and to follow him, but actually to love him. That's about a third of the current world's population. No other person in all of history has been as prominent in art or literature. I think Time magazine calls him the most influential person that has ever lived. And so we want to take some time over the next couple of weeks, particularly, uh, and months in a slightly different way, to look at the life and teachings of this man, Jesus. From an account that has been written by Mark, and I think that Ryan mentioned this last week. You can get this uh, on SoundCloud and on the website if you missed it last week. Um, but explained that Mark was one of Peter's companions. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. And so while Peter was around and preaching and teaching and sharing and retelling the teaching and story of Jesus, we see that Mark is there recording what Peter has been saying. And so the gospel of Mark is essentially a document of Peter's sermons and teachings. And so as we look at the gospel of Mark, we get about as close as we can to the very words of Jesus and the very accounts of his life. And we know that millions of people have found Jesus' teaching completely life-transforming, as it actually touches on some of our biggest questions in life. Some of these big questions like, 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 <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> like, do you want to just press the onward key for me? Yes. Some of life's big questions like, why does technology fail in just the moment that you need it to work? Okay. Big questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is wrong with the world? And what is wrong with me? What is the solution to what is wrong with the world? And what is wrong with me? 
In every culture, in every time throughout history, people have wrestled with these questions, perhaps phrased in slightly different ways. But essentially, people of all cultures at all times in history have wrestled with these issues. And the life and teaching of Jesus speak very profoundly into them. And particularly, actually, in the account that we're going to look at this morning in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. If you have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along yourself, you can perhaps go there, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The scriptures that we're going to look at will be up on the screen. Before we get there, or as you're getting there, I want to just say something that's important for us to remember as we look at the life and teaching of Jesus. And that is that the life of Jesus, as people looked at him and the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing, the way that he was living, he was to them very obviously a human being. To them, he was very obviously a human being. He became, if you like, surprisingly divine. People recognized that he was God after his resurrection. But you'll notice as you read through the Gospels, people weren't really clued into that until the resurrection happened. And so you think, how does God become so convincingly human? And yet that's actually what we believe has happened to Jesus. We celebrate that at Christmas. And we've been doing that, how God comes into this world as a human being. And there's a scripture about that in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, as he comes on this mission to earth to represent us, to identify with us, to do what humanity had failed to do, he doesn't come and do it with his divine power in the background. That would be cheating. It's a bit like I'm going to have a race with you on a bicycle, only you're going to ride a bicycle and I'm going to ride a motorbike. Okay? We would say that's not a fair fight. That's not a fair race. And so Jesus, to come and identify with us in order to be able to show how to live perfectly connected to God, he comes and empties himself of his divine power. It says, rather, he made himself nothing. That word literally means to empty. He emptied himself of his divine power and nature, and he became like a servant being made in human likeness. And so it's important to recognize this Christian belief that God, the very Son of God, who was in very nature God, becomes just like you and me as he lives and does his ministry on the earth. That's why, have you noticed that Jesus gets tired? So he has to sleep. There is that time when he's having to carry the cross and it gets too much for him and he has to have someone else to help him to carry the cross because he gave up being all-powerful. It's why he asked people questions. People questions. So you might remember there is a time where Jesus is walking. There's a crowd and there's a woman who's unwell and she thinks, if I can just touch him, I would be healed. And she reaches out and touches him and is healed. And Jesus 
feels, it says in the Gospels, power go out of him. And he turns around and he says, who touched you? Who touched me? Because in that moment, he did not actually know. He had given up his ability to know all things. And so he does his life on the earth, connected with God as a human, but with the identity of the Son of God. I hope that that's helpful. It's quite important. I think that perhaps while people who are not Christians struggle most with the idea of Jesus being God, if you have been a Christian for a while, we can begin to struggle with the idea of Jesus being human. And yet this is the power of the gospel, that God steps into history, into our world, like one of us, to identify with us and to show us how to live. He's fully God and fully man. And there's wonderful mystery in that. He comes to suffer what was wrong with the world. He comes to create the solution to our mess. He comes to show us where we have come from. These big questions of life get answered in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so as we look at this account that we're going to look at today, I'd love for you to hold in your mind just the understanding that Jesus is fully human as he goes through this experience, while at the same time we reckon, uh, recognize he is God himself. Okay, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit uh, of what Ryan read last week, and then we'll get into our key verses. Mark 1 verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. I want you to notice what they do. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And he goes on to say that I'm baptizing you, but someone who's greater than me is coming. He says, and he will, ba I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so right at the beginning of this gospel, these teachings of Jesus that we have recorded for us through Peter and now by Mark, we are able to get this insight that they're aware there is something that is wrong with the world. I'm not sure if any of you watch the news. I believe that as you watch the news, it is plainly obvious that there is something that is broken about the world. Now, for all the human victories, we are created, we believe, in the image of God. We still, even though broken, bear His image. We do amazing things. Not sure if you've ever watched those videos on YouTube of, of uh, uh, just people are awesome and just the amazing, awesome things that people can do. And yet, we recognize despite that, there is something that is broken in us. There is something that is wrong with us. And the biblical answer to that would be that we have become disconnected from our Creator. We have become disconnected from God. And so the baptism of John was a way for people to say, I recognize that. I recognize I have become disconnected from God in my thoughts, in my actions, even in my motives. If I were to look at my thoughts and my actions and my motives, I don't think that they would tie in with God's values and God's ways. 
And so they come and they confess that to God. And they go into the water. And it's symbolic of two things. It's symbolic of judgment. I'm not sure if you've ever been pushed underwater by someone. It's a sort of scary experience. We're not designed to be able to live underwater without an aqualung or something like that. To be so, so underwater, it represented death and judgment. But it also represented our need to be cleansed and our need to be healed. So what happens when you get into a bath? Okay? It's a nice thing to do when it's so cold. Okay? But when you get into a bath, you tend to get in dirty and hopefully get out clean. Okay? Unless you're one of our children and you just sort of hop in and out and somehow the dirt manages to stay on and we've got to get you back in the water. Okay? But you, what tends to happen is you, you get in dirty and you come out clean. So let me ask you, how many of you would fancy the idea of getting into a bath that someone else has already washed in? Okay, probably not so much. And probably really not so much if you didn't know who the person was that was in the bath before you. And why is that? It's because you know all the dirt that was on them is now in this water that you're about to get in. And so the dirt that was on them is now going to get on you. And yet that's the picture of what is about to happen for Jesus. He's about to get in clean and pick up the dirt that came off everybody else. And so we read in Mark 1 verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I want you to notice that there's no mention of Jesus confessing sin as everyone else had been doing. And so why is it? that Jesus has to be baptized. I'm not sure if you've ever wondered that. Why was it important for Jesus to be baptized if he had never sinned? Well, the baptism of Jesus is a picture, actually a picture of the entire ministry of Jesus. That as a man, he's identifying with the sin of Israel, not just of Israel, but the sin of the world, that the world has become disconnected from God and that he is prepared to get in clean and to come out dirty and then to take the punishment that we deserved so that we can walk clean. And then it says in verse 10, as he comes up out of the water, heaven is ripped open. Heaven is torn open where there has been this barrier, this separation from God and his creation, where we've become disconnected from God. Now through the ministry of Jesus, heaven is opened and God can now connect with his creation. First with Jesus and we're going to find out wonderfully with us as well. And the father speaks and he defines the identity of his son. He says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I was reading uh, in the week and I came across this quote by Eric 
Erickson. I'm not sure if you have heard of him. He's uh, the famous psychologist who um, sort of outlined the key developmental stages that all people go through in different phases of their lives. And obviously, people have done that in different ways, but um, this has been quite a profound uh, description of the types of wrestles and battles that people go through in their life as they journey towards wholeness. And, and Eric Erickson says this, in the social jungle of human existence, there is no feeling of being alive without a sense of identity. Identity is one of the most key elements to live with a sense of well-being. And I was thinking about this for the person, for Jesus. How much of a challenge that must have been at a human level. There was huge controversy over his birth. His mother was pregnant before they were married. In that time, in that culture, that was a massive scandal. She gave birth outside of the village where they were to be married. It was a small town. And you know in small towns, everybody knows everybody's business. And we know that by the age of 12, Jesus seems to have a lot of this sorted out. He's aware as he's grown in perfect connection to God by the Holy Spirit that God is his father, not Joseph. And that he needs to be in his father's house, not always necessarily with his parents. But I'm sure that must have been challenged by the friends that he grew up with, the people who were around him for 30 years there is no outward sign that what Mary and Joseph must have said to him about who he was, was actually true. Jesus has done no miracles up to this point. And so I believe this moment of having his identity defined by his Father in heaven is actually very powerful and significant. One of the key stages that people move through as they become adults is this question is, who am I? What is my identity? What about me is valuable? How do I understand myself? And how do I arrive at that answer? Erickson goes on to say, those who are able to successfully forge a healthy identity develop a sense of fidelity, a psychological virtue characterized by the ability to relate to others, form genuine relationships, those who do not complete this stage may well be left feeling confused about their role and their place in life. I think that there are a lot of people who are feeling confused about their role and their place in life. And I would like to propose to you that you cannot truly know who you are without knowing who God says you are. We can get part of the way there, but we can't truly know who we are without God defining who we are. That's very different to our culture. In our culture, we tend to affirm identity by what we can do, what we have, and what we can achieve. And you notice that even in the way that you say hello to people. Hi, my name's Jason. Oh, hi, my name's Steve. Tell me, Steve, what do you do? And what do you have? And what have you achieved? And it's the way that we understand who we are. And we gain a sense of self-worth as people affirm that what we can do and what we have and what we've achieved is valuable. 
And it's actually a very fragile way of forming identity. God does it very differently. This is God the Father affirming, defining the identity of His Son. And He has done no ministry yet. Nothing that others might deem to be remarkable. No signs, no wonders, no teaching to crowds of people. And yet, from heaven, God declares, you are my son. I value you. I identify with you. I love you. I esteem you. I will fight for you. I am with you. And I am well pleased with who you are. Even before you do anything that others might deem to be remarkable. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. I believe that every one of us is meant to receive that kind of identity affirmation over us. And so the question is, but, but how, how, could, how could God ever think of me in that way? <laughs> that was Jesus. God loves Jesus like that. But, but how could he ever think of me in the same way? And I want to say that that's actually God's plan. God's plan for your life is, if you like, to get you symbolically in the water with Jesus so that you can give to him your dirt and he can give to you his sonship. That these words that the Father speaks over the Son, God would then be able to speak over you. It's an incredible verse in in John chapter 1. Verse 12, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will. Think of Jesus, not born of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. So that as we believe in Him and entrust our lives to Him, God is able to say to you, you are now my child. I get to define who you are. Your value now comes through being related to me. It is a relational identity. You are my child. I take ownership for you. I identify with you. When you walk out into the world, I want you to know you carry my name as God's child. And I love you. And in you and with you, I am well pleased before you do anything that others might deem to be remarkable. I love you and I value you. It goes on in in John's gospel, if you read Jesus' prayer, as he converses with the Father in John chapter 17, we discover that God loves his children, those who have come to him, in the very same way that he loves the Son. He loves his children in the very same way that he loves the Son. That's what God wants for us. 
that we would know that identity and that level of affirmation. So we're actually all about identity transformation. As we agree with God that we need him, that we were separated from him, that we are a bit broken. As we come to him and we say, God, I want to get in the water with you. That's why we do baptism once people have done this as an outward sign of what's happened. I want to get in the water with you. I, I want to confess my sin as all Israel did to the one who had no sin, that you could take my sin and I could receive your sonship. And we believe that Jesus has made that possible. And so I want to say this morning, maybe some of you have come to church for a long time, but you've never actually, in your heart and mind, got into the water symbolically with Jesus. You never actually got to the point where you said, Jesus, I recognize I am broken. I have been separated from you. I do need your forgiveness. Won't you forgive me and bring me into your family? That the love that you speak about, I could experience. And if you'd like to do that, that can transform today. That can change today. You move from being under God's judgment to into God's favor. And so I want to read a prayer. And if you'd like to pray this prayer after I've read it, then I'll read it again and you can follow with me in your heart. And if you do, you don't have to do anything scary other than come and chat to me afterwards. And I'm not that scary, but I'd love to have an opportunity to talk to you about it. Because it's actually very powerful to say, you know what? I prayed that prayer today. I prayed that prayer today, and I now am who God says I am. Not who people affirm me to be, but who God says that I am. This is the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. So that's the prayer. If you want to pray that, I'm going to read it again, and you can just echo it in your heart, and then I'll pray for us, and there's some songs we're going to sing together. Okay. You can follow after me if you'd like to do this. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. And maybe you can take a moment just to think of any that come to mind. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone that's prayed that prayer for the first time today. God, that you would fill them with your spirit. And that you would pour out into their lives the affirmation of their now heavenly father. And God, I pray for every one of us, perhaps as we've heard that prayer again, that you would stir in our hearts a renewed thankfulness for who, God, you have said that we are, that we are your children, that we are who you say we are. We are not who we feel we are or who we've made ourselves to be. We are who you say we are. And on that rock we stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.